Our sermon text this morning is Hebrews chapter 9, verses 6 through 10. Now when these things had been thus prepared, the priests always went into the first part of the tabernacle, performing the services. But into the second part, the high priest went alone once a year, not without blood, which he offered for himself and for the people's sins committed in ignorance. The Holy Spirit, indicating this, that the way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest while the first tabernacle was still standing. It was symbolic for the present time in which both gifts and sacrifices are offered, which cannot make him who performed the service perfect in regard to the conscience. Concerned only with foods and drinks, various washings and fleshly ordinances imposed until the time of Reformation. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this passage that you have us in. We pray that you will be with Mr. Horn, that you will speak through him, that you will uh, send your spirit upon us to hear your word, that you will help us to be good listeners, good hearers, but also good doers of your word. We thank you for these pictures that you have given us. We pray that you will help us to understand these pictures and the spiritual realities. Amen. Return to Hebrews 9 after considering these various types of sacrifices at the beginning parts, the first seven chapters of Leviticus, where we heard about the burnt offering, that picture of substitutionary atonement, the grain offering, the picture of consuming the Word of God, the peace offering, the picture of the blessings that result from having peace with God, the sin offering, the picture of justification. The trespass offering, the picture of sanctification. We now come back to Hebrews. And at this point, the writer of Hebrews has been arguing about the priesthood of Christ. Why the priesthood of Christ had to be different than the priesthood of Aaron. Why it couldn't just be that same priesthood moving forward. It had to be a greater priesthood because he was a greater priest. He was a priest on the order of Melchizedek. Melchizedek was both a king and a priest. Melchizedek had no beginning and no end. And so he was, he was clearly a greater priest than Aaron because even, even Abraham tithed to Melchizedek. And so Christ had to come and be a greater priest than, than Aaron ever was. And so the priesthood of Aaron was, was established through the covenant that Moses gave that Moses entered into, I think it's in Leviticus 24, that he entered into for the nation of Israel, and that it was going to pass away because it was always an insufficient covenant. All the things that God established, all those bulls, all those goats, all the birds that had to die, all the bread that had to be burned, all the, or the grain that had to be burned as a memorial, all those various offerings... They were all just a picture that was going to pass away from God. From the beginning, he never planned for them to be permanent. They were not what he wanted. And as it says in this passage, that first covenant, that covenant that is through all the blood of bulls and goats, nobody was ever saved. Nobody, that was not about people coming to faith. That was not about salvation. That was these physical offerings that were to give us a spiritual understanding and were to give them a spiritual understanding. 
And so all those passages about the tabernacle we went to, those, those weren't done for Israel. They were done for the church. They were done so that we could understand spiritual realities based on the fact that there was gold interwoven in the, the curtains, the fact that there were cherubim there, the fact that there were, were bronze bases that the, the wall of the tabernacle or the gate of the tabernacle stood on. All these things were not given so that Israel could understand them. They were given so the church could understand them. That's a really important concept that is the main theme of this passage. They weren't given for them to understand. They were given for us to understand. They could see them and they looked for 1,400 years or something like that. They did these things year after year, day after day, and they didn't understand what they meant any more than the apostles in the passage that that Noel just read, when when Jesus Christ says it's not what goes into a man that defiles a man, it's what comes out of a man that defiles a man, the apostles go, huh? What does this mean? That's because they were still in the Old Covenant, and that's how they treated every peace offering, that's how they treated every sin offering, that's how they treated the Passover, that's how they treated Pentecost, that's how they treated the Feast of Ingathering, that's how they treated everything. They saw the parable and went, Huh? What is he talking about? And they thought that was the end. And then Christ comes just like he did with the parable about it's not what goes into a man that defiles a man, but what comes out of a man that defiles a man. And Jesus Christ came and made the parable understood. That's what he did with everything in the tabernacle. That's what he did with all the service of the tabernacle. That's what he did with all the sacrifices. That's what he did with all of that. When Christ came, he made it so that we could understand these things that were symbolic in the Old Covenant, were symbolic in the covenant with Moses, that now have spiritual significance, (laughs) that we have a duty and a responsibility to understand because Christ has come. And it's no longer about these physical parables. It's about the reality of what Christ did and what these things were pointing to. All those things, the table of showbread, the lampstand, the golden censer, the Ark of the Covenant, they're all (laughs) pictures about spiritual realities that are in heaven. They were all just physical pictures of spiritual realities. Think about the Ark of the Covenant with the manna, with Aaron's rod, with the tablets of the covenant. These were all so that we could understand spiritual things, not just so that we could physically remember that the manna came down, because the new covenant clearly teaches the manna was Christ. We're supposed to look at that parable of the manna and go, what do we learn about Christ from this? Because that's why God gave it to them. He gave it to them so that we could understand it. They would go, the manna, we don't get the thing about the manna. Why does the manna come and it doesn't come on Sunday and all these other, or on the Sabbath day and all these other things. And then Christ comes and the writer of Hebrews is saying, in Christ, all these things now can be understood. We're supposed to be able to understand all these things. They're all pointing to spiritual realities that we're to be able to understand through the work of Jesus Christ and through the outpouring of the Holy Spirit These things are now understandable. We can understand what was symbolized. So as we come to this passage, this is a good passage to put into perspective all the offerings that we just covered in Leviticus. To recognize them for what they were. There were things that they did, but they were things that were done for the present time. 
They were given to them to do, but they were given to them to do so that we could understand truths, so we could understand realities. We're supposed to see them and recognize the things that they symbolized and not just see them as the sacrifices that they were. And as we think of the priesthood of all believers, we're supposed to be doing the spiritual equivalent of the services that they were doing in the tabernacle that those services don't pass away. They get reformed in the new covenant. They get changed so that they have a different result than they had in the old covenant. In the old covenant, it was all physical. Now it becomes spiritual. But they didn't go away. Just what was pointing to something, now it's become substantiated. It's become real. It's become things that we're supposed to be doing. So when God reformed the priesthood by establishing Christ as the high priest of the order of Melchizedek, that he reformed the whole priesthood, which means he reformed what our service looks like. He didn't take away those things that the priest did. He transformed them from being a picture to being a real thing, to being having spiritual substance. And he gave us the responsibility as priests to do that spiritual service that was pointed to the, by the physical service that the Levitical priests had done. And so the writer of Hebrews is going to focus on the specific way that Christ, by fulfilling his role as the old, as of the high priest on the Day of Atonement, how that Old Testament law was pointing to a spiritual reality. But recognize the writer of Hebrews is just taking one example in laying that out, saying, I don't have time to explain all of it. But that doesn't mean that we're not supposed to be able to understand it. We're supposed to be able to understand it just like we were, it was given to us to understand the parable, the parable of the sower, the parable of the, the dragnet, the parable. I mean, God, Christ came and giving all these parables, and those who didn't have faith couldn't believe them, but those who had faith are supposed to be able to believe them. They have a duty to be able to believe them. So when we look through these offerings in the Old Testament, we should recognize we have a duty to understand what they mean. That there is much of a parable, and that's the word that's used in this passage, there is much of a parable as any of the parables in Matthew 13, which are the kingdom parables. These things are as much of a parable, and we're supposed to be able to understand them. That's how God established established these things. So before we consider that specific example, God, through the writer of Hebrews, goes, this is what all these things are about. This is what the washings are about. This is what the food and drinker is about. This is what all of the service of the tabernacle was about very thing. So as we, as we go back in a few weeks, as we go back to Leviticus, and as we think back to what we've talked about over the last you know, 17 weeks, I think we were in, the first seven chapters of Leviticus. As we consider that, remember, this isn't some dry thing about what these, all these sacrifices they need to make. These are God telling us through these physical pictures. He's telling us of the spiritual things that we have responsibility to do. So let's consider the, the writer's argument, starting in verse 6. Now, when these things have been thus prepared the priests always went into the first part of the tabernacle performing the services. So now when these things have been prepared, it's important to understand this, that you know, there was chapter after chapter in Exodus about the preparation of the tabernacle. And the tabernacle 
But the tabernacle wasn't prepared to be a museum. It wasn't prepared to be these things that people looked at. God told them to make the tabernacle so that they could serve in the tabernacle, so that they could do work in the tabernacle. And this is a really important concept. It's, it's not just the tabernacle itself, which is what the writer of Hebrews had talked about in verses 1 through 5 of chapter 9 about all these things, the table of showbread, all these things, the Ark of the Covenant, they all pointed to, to spiritual realities. He's also going, but the tabernacle was set up so that the people could serve in the tabernacle, so that the priests could work in the tabernacle. That's what the tabernacle was set up for, not just for it to be this thing that people looked at, like a museum, and they walked in and they went, oh, isn't this interesting? That is not what the tabernacle was for. It was for people to come to serve God. It was a place to do work. It was established so that the priests could do their work. They had to prepare the tabernacle exactly as God specified because it's pointing to specific spiritual realities. The tabernacle where God dwelt, but that tabernacle where God dwelt is not in every Christian. Or that picture of the tabernacle where God dwelt is the picture of every Christian because the Holy Spirit, when it was poured out, God tabernacles with us. So as we think of that tabernacle with the, with the table of showbread, the word of God was in us because the Holy Spirit wrote it on our hearts, but it's also supposed to be in us because daily, twice a day, right? If you take the, the picture of the service, that twice a day you're supposed to go in and you're supposed to focus the light on the word of God. You're supposed to focus it on the table of showbread. And so when we think about what our basic service as a priest of God is. It's not just to say randomly, I need to study God's word. I need to read God's word at some point in time. God even gave us a pattern. Morning and evening, they read God's word. They had this physical picture of focusing on the showbread, and we're supposed to have the spiritual equivalent. Or morning and evening, it doesn't mean that you can't do it at other times, but morning and evening, you should be studying the word of God. You should be reading the word of God. And the same thing with the light through the Holy Spirit. We're supposed to, that should be the picture of us being the light to the world. We're supposed to be turning from our sins. We're supposed to be trimming the light. We're supposed to be examining ourselves for where we're walking in darkness and turning from the darkness. And again, this is a regular thing that was supposed to be done. And then the golden altar, right? The picture of prayers to God. This isn't, this isn't that that you're only supposed to do this when you feel like it. Again, the same thing. Morning and evening, they were supposed to go and they were to offer incense on the golden altar. And these services that they were supposed to do, these are physical pictures that are supposed to be fulfilled in the priests under the order of Melchizedek, in those who are Christ, which means that we have a real responsibility to do these things, a real responsibility to to study and to look at the Word of God, a real responsibility to, to examine ourselves for sin, a real responsibility to pray to God on a regular basis, on a multi-times-a-day basis. And so God built that physical tabernacle so that the, Le- the Levites, the priests, could do the work that God had called them to do. In the spiritual tabernacle that God makes by Him tabernacling with us, those physical services that they did, they now become spiritual services that we have a responsibility to do. If you're a priest on the order of Melchizedek, those services, they don't go away. They get reformed. They get changed in the new covenant. 
which is the whole point of this passage, that those things were put in place so that they would be reformed with Jesus Christ entering into the Holy of Holies. And so that picture of that burnt offering, what does the burnt offering mean? It's that picture of sacrifice. They had The priests had to make a burnt offering morning and evening. Are our lives supposed to be sacrificial or are they supposed to be about ourselves? If you think they're about yourselves, you don't understand the parable. If you don't read God's word, you don't understand the parable. If you don't, if you don't look in the light and walk in the light, you don't understand the parable. If you're not crying out to God and praying to God, you don't understand the parable. And you should be, am I like Peter and like the apostles who were given to understand these things, or am I like the Jews that see them but have no understanding of what they actually meant? Because they didn't believe is why they didn't know. They didn't believe. And so as we look at these and as we look at the services that we were to render, let's make sure we understand this is what priests render. God saved us, not so he could tabernacle in us so that we could go, oh, isn't that nice having God abide in us? He saved us so that we could serve. He saved us so that we could do the work that's pictured by the old covenant work of the priesthood. Ephesians 2.10, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Everybody that was made a priest had the responsibility to do the roles of the priest. They all did. Everyone who's made a priest on the order of Melchizedek has to do the work of a priest. They all do. God gave us that Old Testament picture so that we can understand the New Testament reality. So the priests, we know what this means in the new covenant. Since all who are believed are now priests in the new covenant, God has appointed us as royal priests. So when we see the reference to priest, we should always be thinking about ourselves. If you are a believer, you should go. When you read priests in the Old Testament that the priest is supposed to do this, you're supposed to go, okay, so what's the spiritual equivalent of this? If the priest was supposed to wash the entrails, what does that mean now? What am I supposed to do? Because whenever we see priests in the Old Testament, we should recognize it's a picture of what new covenant Christians are supposed to do. So when we go back to Leviticus after studying Hebrews 9, we hear about the consecration of Aaron and his sons. Remember, that's pointing to spiritual realities for us, including when Nadab and Abihu are slaughtered by God abruptly without warning we shouldn't think oh that's an interesting old testament story we should go what is god saying about that to us and i think we can all think of ananias and sapphira and go "Eh, kind of have an idea what it means to us because god does the same thing in the new covenant that he did in the old covenant as he kills two priests right away because they don't offer things the way they're supposed to offer them and so As we think of these things, let's not think of them as abstract. When we look and we read through Leviticus 1 through 7, we're not supposed to think of them as this distant thing. Instead, they were given for us. They weren't given for them. They were given so that we could understand. They weren't given for them to understand because they didn't understand it. They didn't understand it any more than they understood the parable when, when Jesus Christ says, it's not what goes into a man that defiles a man, but what comes out of the man, of a man. They didn't understand it. They did all these things for 1,400 years, and they didn't understand them. We have a duty to understand them. They were written for us. 
So the priests always went into the first part of the tabernacle. Their role, it's important to recognize this, their role was not in the Holy of Holies. None but the high priest could ever go there. And they could not go there, even the high priest couldn't go there without risking death. But the first part of the tabernacle was where God was worshipped. And so just as now, as the tabernacle of God, worship is something that, that needs to start in us, it needs to start in our heart, And it is because the Holy Spirit abides in us, but we shouldn't think that we see the Holy Spirit even though the Holy Spirit abides in us. It's like the Holy of Holies. He's still separated from us. There's still a veil that will be removed when we're resurrected or will really be removed for our soul when we die and we ascend to heaven. But it's still this picture of the tabernacle, but God saved us and he he tabernacles with us so that we do the work of the tabernacle. And the first work of the tabernacle is worship. And so as we talk about the table of showbread and that picture of the word of God, as we talk about the the lampstand, that picture of being the light, we talk about the altar of incense. All these things are about worship and God saves us to worship him. He saves us to serve him through worship. And that starts inside of us, even as it goes outside and affects the world. Just like the the priests, that they would go and they would do that burnt offering that everybody could see, but then they would bring the blood in. They would, they well, the for the trespass offering, they would bring the blood and they would sprinkle it on the golden, the altar of, of gold, the where the incense was burned. And they would go and they would, would bring these things in, so there was service inside that was visible outside. And so it starts the same with us, is there has to be service towards God that's inside, but that manifests itself outside in the world. So the first part of the tabernacle was where man worshiped God. And just now, that's where we need to start in our hearts. We need to start by worshiping God and not be like the Israelites who worshiped him and honored him with their lips, but their hearts were far from him. The picture of the tabernacle is we worship him inside ourselves first before it has a physical manifestation outside. And so the same picture applies to the church, because there's a sense that we're the the tabernacle of God collectively as well, and worship has to start here, but it has to go outside. It has to have service both inside and outside. And you can't ignore the service that's not seen by the world, but at the same time you can't ignore the world and the responsibilities that you have to the things of the world. And so we're supposed to come and we, we physically consume God's word together. That, that picture of eating the, the showbread as the priests of God. And then going out into the world and having an impact on the world. That's, that's the picture of the church. God gave that so that we could see what the church is supposed to be like. And that word always there doesn't mean without ceasing. It doesn't mean at all times. It actually means it's diopanthos which dia is, means through, and panthos means all. So it's supposed to affect everything. It's not like it's all the time that it's happening, but our service to God is to be throughout all of our life. And everything that we do, they always went into the first part of the tabernacle, but for us, what that means, in everything we do, there should be an aspect of God in it. There should be an aspect of worship in it. There should be an aspect of serving God. It doesn't mean that you can't go to work, but it means that when you go to work, the worship of God and service to God should be permeating that too. That there's no part of our life that we're allowed to separate off because we're the tabernacle of God. 
And so we're always supposed to be serving God. And then performing the service. So always went into the first part of the tabernacle performing the service. This is, I find this translation kind of strange because in the New King James, it italicizes service, which means that, that service isn't in the Greek text. The problem is service is actually in the Greek text. And so I'm not sure why they put this here. It's actually the same word that's used in verse 1. And the word is latria, which means worship. It means to serve God. And so it's, you know, divine service is how it was translated in, in verse 1. And that's really what it means here. Performing the divine service. This is about worship. The point of the tabernacle was so that, that the priests on the order of, of Levi of the sons of Aaron, that they could, throughout everything they did, they could offer divine services. But only in the holy place, not in the most holy place, not in the holiest of all. And it's the same picture here. We have citizenship in heaven. We have connection to heaven. But all our services here, all our services, it starts inside of us, but it's in this world. We don't have access to the Father in the sense that we can walk into the Holy of Holies. But we have real service to do now. We have real worship to do now. We have all the services spiritually to do that the, that the priests were physically doing in the Old Covenant. <clears throat> so the point of the tabernacle was so that they would, so that they as priests, through everything that they did, they could offer divine services, but they could never actually go into God's presence. They knew God's presence was there, but there was a clear separation made where even the priest, with the exception of the high priest, can enter into the heavenly places. Or can't enter into the heavenly places. And so we have earthly services that we're to do now, true services of worship. And even now we have this understanding that God is separated from us, that we can't go into his presence. But we also know that we have the promise that we will be able to go into his presence. But some of the symbols that were in that holy of holies, like... Like Aaron's rod, that's supposed to remind us that God is directing and controlling all things now. We don't see that. We're not standing there watching God direct all things, but we know that it's happening because we know it's in the Holy of Holies. We see the the manna, this picture of God's provision. We know we don't see God providing. We don't see how God causes every seed that falls into the ground to spring up into a plant that provides food. But as Christians, we're supposed to know that that only happens because of what's going on in heaven. Because that's that picture of manna, that God is the one who provides. And we also know with the tablets of stone that God is judging. And we see evil men rise up that do really vicious and evil and vile things. But we're still supposed to, by faith, go, but in the holy of holies, God is actually judging. He's judging based on his law. And even though we don't see it, even though we don't connect to it, we don't see the instant response like, like Job's friends all expected to see. We need to recognize that, no, that is in the holiest of holies. That is in the holiest place. That is where God, what God is doing in heaven, what God is doing in the earth by ruling. And so we don't see it directly. It's by faith that we see it, just like the priests that were ministering in the tabernacle. By faith, they had to go, I know the mercy seat's in there. I know the Shekinah glory's in there. I don't see it, but I know it's there because God promised his presence in the tabernacle. He came and he descended on the, on the temple. 
And so by faith, they had to go, these are what those physical things mean. God gave the picture so that we could understand it later. He gave the picture so that we can understand how we're supposed to be looking at the world. And so by faith, we serve God. By faith, we worship God now because we go, we know there's a holy place. We know there's a mercy seat. We know that there's cherubim that are surrounding God that are praising him continuously. We know that he's ruling. We know that he's providing. We know that he's judging. So we do the work of a slave of God now because of the promises of the Holy of Holies. We can't enter in yet until we put off this flesh that has sin and then we can enter into the Holy of Holies. But we serve God now. We worship God now because of the promise that the Holy of Holies was made accessible through the blood of Jesus Christ. So verses 7 and 8. But into the second part of the high priest went alone once a year, not without blood, which he offered for himself and for the people's sins committed in ignorance. The Holy Spirit indicating this, that the way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest while the first tabernacle was still standing. So into the second part, into the Holy of Holies, the high priest went and nobody else could go in. Only the high priest was allowed to go in, and we're going to get to this in detail when we go to Leviticus 16. There's all kinds of interesting things there, but you know, they, there was a ceremony they had to go through that needed to be done, and it was always done on the 10th day of the 7th month, which was at the end of the original year after they shifted it because of Passover. And so to do it, he had to wash his body. This is one of the washings that gets reformed. It's the picture of, of corruption putting on incorruption. It's the picture of, of not being able to die. The ones that couldn't die, they're the ones that can go into heaven. He had to wash his body. He had to put on different garments, right? That picture that's, that's clearly in Revelation. He had to sacrifice a young bull as a sin offering for his own sins and for his, the sins of his house. And he had to bring two goats, and one of them he offered as a sin offering, and the other was the scapegoat that he put the sins on of the people of Israel and caused the, the goat to go walk in the, out in the wilderness. And then he would take fire from the burnt offering that he made, and he would use that to burn incense in the golden censer. And as he walked into the Holy of Holies, he had to have the smoke coming so that it, it shrouded the, the mercy seat so that he didn't die, so that he couldn't fully see the presence of God. Because even after the sacrifice of bulls and goats, it was clear that he wasn't fit to see God and he would die if he saw God. So he had to make sure there was plenty of incense there to block it. And so this process was required so that people could see the spiritual realities that it was pointed to. The spiritual realities that were fulfilled in Christ. The sacrifice that he did didn't work. But there were aspects that were clearly pointing to things about Christ. For instance, he had to go in alone. He was only allowed to go in by himself. Right? And this is the picture of the crucifixion. Everybody abandoned Christ. All his disciples abandoned Christ. Christ had to be alone. He had to be the one who was crucified. It didn't matter if other people died with him. The the shepherd was struck and all the sheep scattered. But that's because of this picture of the high priest going into the tabernacle, going into the Holy of Holies, that he had to go by himself. He was the one who had to go through the veil, who went to his death alone so that he could rise from the grave alone. 
so that he himself could defeat death. It was his work alone that makes it possible for anyone to go into the Holy of Holies. So the high priest, the the son of Aaron that was the high priest, once a year he had to go into the Holy of Holies and he had to do it alone as pointing towards Christ. And he did it once a year. The, The Levitical high priest did it once a year. And this, again, calendars are really important. God is scheduling these things to happen in certain intervals, like the Sabbath is happening at certain intervals. The, the burnt offering and the other offerings have to be given morning and evening. That's a reason that God is appointing those things. And the things that God appoints once a year are things that he, he appointed that way because even though the, the Levites were doing them once a year, he was also pointing to things that only happen once forever in all of time. And so... They would enter into the Holy of Holies because there was only once the Day of Atonement that happened once a year in Christ. He does it once, and he does it once and for all. And this is true for the other things. Like, there was a real departure from Egypt where they actually left Egypt, where they were were freed from their bondage in Egypt. But they had to celebrate it every year because it was about spiritual bondage, and they weren't free from their spiritual bondage. That's obvious from going through Exodus that leaving Egypt solved none of their real problem. And so they had to do it year after year as a reminder that it wasn't complete. Pentecost, they had to do it year after year because Pentecost is about the giving of the law and they received the law from Moses on Mount Sinai, but it also showed it didn't work, so they had to keep doing it year by year because spiritually it was insufficient. Same with the gathering. The gathering is something that will happen, the Feast of Gathering, the ingathering of summer fruits it happens once when Christ returns and he gathers all people to himself that are saved. And so these things that happen once a year, they are pointing to things that happen once in all of eternity. Whether it's Christ coming as the Passover, whether it's pulling out the, pouring out the Holy Spirit, whether it's the second coming of Christ, whether it's entering into the Holy of Holies, the annual things are things that happen once. And there are these pictures of things that will happen once in history. And so once a year, so that being once a year showed it wasn't sufficient because it didn't last forever. It only lasted for a year. And the next year they had to go do it again. And it was not without blood. The law also shows that blood was needed to be shed because without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. That without blood being shed, there was no entry into the Holy of Holies. Something had to die. Blood had to be shed in order to go into the Holy of Holies. Death came through Adam, and death was required to pay for the sin of Adam because the wages of sin is death. And somebody had to pay those wages in order for anyone to be saved, anyone to go back into the presence of God the Father. And so it was not without blood which he offered. The high priest had to make an offering of blood. (coughs) And there were many other offerings that were made where the blood was sprinkled on the altar burnt offering that demonstrated the the separation of the offer from the judgment to come. And these things are things that any priest could do. So as we think about the time of Reformation, as we think of these things as physical parables, we should be going, okay, so the fact that the priest had to participate in the burnt offerings, what does that mean for us? But there was an offering that he had to make once a year before he went into the atonement. One thing was the scapegoats, but the first thing that he had to do was offer a bowl for himself because he had to pay for his own sins before he could go in, and a picture for himself and for his household. Christ, when he made the offering, 
of being the burnt offering. He didn't have to do it for himself because he didn't need it. But because he was the perfect sacrifice, he did it once so that his whole household could come in. The household of God, those who are adopted by the Father, all of them can go in because of the sacrifice of the high priest. (coughs) So he had to make an offering for himself, which shows that he wasn't the perfect high priest because the next year he had to make the offering again, and the next year he had to make the offering again. All these things were done, and God laid out this law so people could understand this is insufficient. This doesn't work. (coughs) (coughs) That those sacrifices... Those sacrifices just mean that they'll need to be repeated. And so when we look at the annual things, again, they were fulfilled. But when we look at these other things that are done weekly and and monthly and done daily, we should be going, okay, so what are we supposed to do with these? Because these aren't pictures of things that are done once and fulfilled. These are pictures of ongoing work of priests, according to the order of Melchizedek, that are physically pictured in what, the priests of the order of Levi did. (coughs) So Christ needed to make no sacrifice for himself, but he did for his family, just like the high priest did. And so the high priest, by sacrificing for himself, by putting the blood of the bull that he sacrificed on the altar and on the mercy seat so so that God wouldn't kill him, like he killed Nadab and Abihu, and it's interesting because when you read Leviticus 16, which is, again, where, you're des- where it's describing what the high priest had to do on the Day of Atonement, it directly connects it to Nadab and Abihu. It doesn't, it's not, I mean, it's explicit in the text. He's going, this is what I'll do to you if you do what they did. So here's how you approach me. Here's the only way you're allowed to approach me. And so it clearly shows that it's not like, like Christ who was perfect so he could come in. There were all kinds of things because Aaron had to go in with terror. But Christ could ascend to the Father with joy because they were very different. Because the high priest knew he was a sinner. He knew that he needed judgment. He knew that the only thing that was stopping the judgment is some blood of a bull that is not worth the value of a man. But Christ didn't have that same concern. He could go into the joy of his Father. And through that, we can enter into the joy of his Father. So all of that, the sacrifice that he did for himself showed that something else was required. The Day of Atonement was about mourning, and that showed a better sacrifice was needed, a sacrifice that, was, that made it so that the high priest could enter and not had to be veiled from God with the, the incense from the, the sacrifice of the bull, but that they could, he could actually look at God face to face like Christ could and where the high priest would be welcomed to the presence of the Father, and it would be about joy and not terror. So he would do it for himself and for the people's sins, and so for the high priest, he had to make the sacrifice of the bull for himself and for his family, but he also had to sacrifice a goat, and he had to sacrifice the goat. He would take two goats, and one would become the scapegoat, and the other goat would become a burnt offering. And the scapegoat, he would pray over the scapegoat and make the scapegoat the atonement for the sins of his people and send the scapegoat off into the wilderness. But he had to sprinkle the blood of that goat on the mercy seat as well. 
which understand the picture, the one picture of the bull and the blood that's sprinkled on the, the mercy seat is because God shows mercy to Israel, the true spiritual Israel, that the Old Testament Israel is a parable of the true Israel of the new covenant. And then you look at, at the, the sprinkling or the putting of the blood of the goat on. That's a picture of him doing all the people because there is a real sense that God is, came to save the world and not just Christians. He's going to cast out all things that offend, and that's the picture of the scapegoat. So the things that they committed in ignorance. And ignorance is a good translation. It's important to understand what ignorance means. And it's basically it would be A instead of I if you transliterated the Greek. And the idea is without knowledge. And so they didn't understand Remember all these things. Remember when Christ comes and he's talking to the people in parable, when he tells even his disciples the parable about eating the food. And it's not what goes into a man that defiles a man, but what comes out of a man that defiles a man. They were ignorant. They didn't see it. They didn't have knowledge. It's like when Christ goes, are you going to leave me also to Peter? And Peter goes, you're the son of the most high God. Where else would we go? And God go, or Christ goes, it's not flesh and blood that showed you those things. It's God that showed you those things. So Christ makes the sacrifice for sins committed in ignorance, not meaning that you don't know that it's sin, but, no, but meaning that you don't know that there's a God who's going to judge the sin. And so the sins are done in ignorance. Those that commit transgressions against God, the, the high priest, when he goes, you know, isn't it better for one man to die for all the people? He's doing it in ignorance. And yes, it's in rebellion to God. Yes, it's because he blinded himself because of his sin. Yes, all those things. But at the same time, he doesn't know God, so he does it in ignorance. And these sacrifices are for people who do it in ignorance. Because it's only because of the sacrifice of Christ that we can see who God is and that we can repent and be saved. So then it says the Holy Spirit indicating this. It's interesting that the writer brings in the Holy Spirit here. The words of God were given through the Spirit of God. Even the ones that were written on the tablet by the finger of God. God had already revealed them to, to Moses that he told to the people. And all these things that were recorded, we should recognize that it's through the Spirit of God. And so why would the writer of Hebrews all of a sudden throw in that the Holy Spirit indicating this? It seems to me the most likely thing is that the writer of Hebrews is trying to make it very clear that you can look in the Old Testament and you can see the Father, you can see the Son, right? The Son is very clear, but it's harder to see the Holy Spirit. And so if you're writing to the Jews, you make it very clear that the Holy Spirit was God, part of the Trinity from the very beginning. So it was God, it was the Holy Spirit that was revealing these things, were indicating these things. <coughs> Even in the Old Covenant, it was the Holy Spirit that was the teacher, just like the Holy Spirit. Jesus Christ promises that he will send the Spirit on all flesh and that that Spirit will teach and guide to all truth. The Holy Spirit has always been the teacher. So he was the one that maintained it. He was the one that, that made it clear, made it seen that's what that, that word indicating means. It really means to be made clear, to make it able to be seen. So the Holy Spirit made it clear from the beginning of the giving of the law 
that the way into the Holy of Holies was not this sacrificial system, that it couldn't be the real way into the presence of God. <laughs> because otherwise, they wouldn't have to do it over and over and over again. The high priest wouldn't have to, if he was really the high priest, he wouldn't have to make a sacrifice for himself. He wouldn't have to be in terror when he's in the Holy of Holies. And so the Holy Spirit indicates, it makes it very clear that we need a different high priest. That the high priest, it's the son of Aaron, because Nadab would have probably been the next high priest, except for the fact that God killed him. It wasn't by their flesh that they could do it. It was always, always, always pointing. It was always making it clear that they needed a different high priest. They needed a better high priest that would actually bring him into the Holy of Holies. So it was just a placeholder so that people could see it. It was, it was this physical parable so that people could understand the spiritual thing that God had to do in the future. <coughs> so remember, even when they went and, and God lays out the way in Leviticus 16, he makes it very clear Moses could walk into the presence of God at any time. But Aaron could only go once a year after he did all these sacrifices. And so he's making it very clear that in allowing access to the Holy of Holies, he's actually restraining it with the Levitical high priest. He's not expanding it. He's making it once a year that you can go into the presence. And so this physical parable, I mean, he's, he's, he's not saying those who sought God and went to the tabernacle. Remember when God's presence was in Moses' tabernacle outside the camp. He's not saying that you still can't go out and meet with God. He's saying you can't meet with God in the tabernacle. Because in the tabernacle, you have to go through this process because there needs to be something greater to have access to the Shekinah glory of God. <coughs> so he's making it clear. The Holy Spirit's making it clear. It's making it visible. It's making it so that we can be seen that the way into the Holy of Holies was not yet manif- made manifest. That God had appointed the Holy of Holies. He had pointed at the place where God's glory was. He appointed the mercy seat. He set all these things up that could not be seen except by the high priest once a year. And then he makes it very clear that, that this whole thing, it wasn't made manifest what it was really pointing to. All it did is give a picture so that those in the new covenant can understand it. Those who have been saved can understand that those by faith can understand the parable. That word made manifest is the word uh, fanaroyo, let me pronounce it better. And that means to make it very plain, like to publish it, to make it really obvious. And so in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit made it clear that all this process of offering these bowls and these scapegoats and stuff, that that made it really clear that there had to be something else. And in the New Covenant, he makes it very clear Christ is what those things are pointing to. That that's what, that's what happened with the advent of Christ. The Holy Spirit made it clear that, that, that the way in the law was not the way to the true Holy of Holies. Just as he made it very plain and made it published abroad that, that Christ was the way. <coughs> So in the Old Covenant, the way into the Holy of Holies, into the presence of God, hadn't been publicly declared. It had just been declared in this picture, in this parable. And the Day of Atonement was not to make it clear how to enter into the presence of God. 
it was to make it clear that a way was needed to enter into the problem, into the presence of God. That the blood of bulls and goats was not the way because it didn't work. They had to, they had to get out of there as quick as they could before they died. It clearly was not the way. The Holy Spirit made it very clear that to enter into God's presence required something else. It required blood to be sacrificed, but it required a better high priest than Aaron. And so it was not made manifest while the first tabernacle was still standing. The tabernacle was to show, while it was still standing, that it was insufficient. It was never to show the way to go to the Father. It was to show that a way was needed to go to the Father and that man's work could never bring you into the presence of God. It was always insufficient to bring you into the presence of God. So it gave hints, it gave insights into what was needed, but it didn't publicly become known until Jesus Christ came and took on flesh and demonstrated what was required to go into the presence of God, a better sacrifice than Aaron than Aaron made. Verses 9 and 10. So it was symbolic for the present time in which both gifts and sacrifices are offered, which cannot make him who performed the service perfect in regard to the conscience. Concerning only with food and drinks, various washings and fleshly ordinances imposed until the time of Reformation. So it starts by saying it was symbolic. So the writer has been specifically talking about the high priest, but it's very clear from verse 10 that he's talking about all the stuff in the Old Testament, all the ways that they had to wash, all the food that they had to eat, all these sacrifices. The fact that you had to eat the, the bowl of a peace offering within the day that it was sacrificed, all these things, they were all things that were imposed and they were all symbolic. And so it's important to understand what that word symbolic means. That is the word, the Greek word, parable, parabole. It is a trans- so if you transliterated it, instead of translating it, it would be parable. All these things were parables, is how you should think of every one of them. That's what the writer of Hebrews is saying. When you see the washing of the entrails, that's a parable. When you see the trimming of the lamps, that's a parable. When you see the burning of the incense on the altar of incense, that's a parable. All these things are parables that they didn't understand any more than they understood the parables when Jesus Christ came and said, it's not what goes into a man that defiles a man, it's what comes out of a man that defiles a man. They didn't get the parables, but all those things are parables that have been given to us to understand. They weren't given to us to not understand. They were given to us to understand. So it uses the word symbolic, but I think it's really helpful to think about what God is doing here. He's physically creating parables that were put in front of the people so that they saw them day after day after day. They saw them week after week. They saw them year after year so that they could look at them and they would have these parables that were right there and they were always blinded to them because they didn't know God and they didn't have faith so they couldn't understand what they were talking about. But you see somebody like David, right? Psalm 119. It's very clear that he understood what the table of showbread was about. It's not that it was blind to everybody, but it requires faith, just like it does in the New Covenant. It requires faith to be able to see what these things meant. So when we read all his offerings, we should read them as parables. Just like when we read in the New Covenant, and God, Christ gives a parable, understand that all those, the burnt offering is a parable, the sin offering is a parable, 
The grain offering is a parable. All these things are parables, and that's how we're supposed to read them. (coughs) And when we think of the services of the priest, we should read them as parables for us. What are we supposed to be doing? Just like when he talks about, you know, Christ talks about giving the coin for the first labor of the day and giving the same coin to the last labor of the day. He's not talking about laborers. He's talking about spiritual realities. And when we read these things in the Old Covenant, we shouldn't just be going, oh, he's just talking about how you have to kill a bull and you have to drip its blood around the altar. No, he's talking about these so that we can understand spiritual realities because all these things are parables (coughs) in there for this present time. So he's making it really clear. When he told them to do the burnt offering, it wasn't for their good. It wasn't for them to understand things. It's very clear they did burn offerings and they had no clue what they meant. They continued to do burn offerings. You know, you read Malachi and he goes, really, you think I'm going to be pleased with these? You're intentionally rebelling against me and you think you're okay because you've done this burn offering. But all these parables were for the present time. They weren't given to the Levites for the sake of the Levites. They were given to the Levites for the sakes of the priests of the order of Melchizedek for the priesthood that is established through the new covenant. The Levites were largely faithless throughout all their time of the priesthood, which results in them being the cheerleaders that are saying, crucify him, crucify him. It's not that these parables helped them at all. God didn't give them to them to help them. He gave them to them to help us. They were for the present time. So they were parables that were given to them for us to understand, for us to apply, for us to say, oh, this is what God meant by that. It wasn't given for them to understand it. It was given to us to understand it. (coughs) So in which both gifts, so all the gifts, all those free will offerings, those things that they were supposed, they were to give because they saw a need, like when when Moses says, we need these things for the tabernacle, and everybody came and brought it. Those are a picture of what's supposed to happen in the church. That's the, you know, that's, <coughs> that's Romans 12. Excuse me, 1 Corinthians 12. 12. That's this picture that you have gifts and you see a need and you help your brother in need because this is how it's supposed to work. You're supposed to give. This is what Christians do. And so all those gifts, and like I said a couple weeks ago, like, Christ said he's going to judge based on that Matthew 25 I was hungry and you fed me you see a need and you help with that need that's what it looks like that's what they were supposed to do that's what all those gifts of them giving were about but when we do them we're supposed to recognize it's spiritual and not physical that it's about caring for the weak it's about caring for the poor it's about it's about not not giving things thinking that we'll earn points with God but actually caring for those people who are made in God's image because we're thankful towards God. So all those offerings, <coughs> they were all these physical pictures, or that physical parables that were supposed to be spiritually fulfilling. And sacrifices, the word translated sacrifice comes from breathing hard like out of fear. So the animals that were sacrificed, those were pictures of Christ in the Garden of Gethsemane where he's sweating drops of blood. That's the picture of the sacrifice. 
But those sacrifices, it wasn't just the sacrifice that allowed the high priest to go into the Holy of Holies. We're supposed to be living sacrifices. We're supposed to take that parable and say, okay, so what does that mean for me? How am I supposed to live like that? Are you living sacrificially? That's what the parable is pointing to. So they offered the gifts and the sacrifices they're offered. And think about it. You calculate it out, and I didn't calculate it out again, but in a thousand years of making these offerings, that's a lot of animals. And you don't know how many because they also sacrificed all the firstborn. They, I mean, there were so many sacrifices that they had to make. And God made them do all those sacrifices, all that blood that would pour out like at Passover where you have you know, a million animals being slain. Can you imagine that and all the blood pouring down because of that? And God's saying, all that was just a parable so that you can understand what you're supposed to do. God had, that's how seriously God takes those things. Is he had all those animals, those millions of animals killed, slaughtered, their blood poured out in the ground. So we can understand the seriousness of sin, that we can understand the seriousness of our service to God, that we can understand these things, that he did these physical parables that had no meaning in and of themselves. They only have meaning because they point to spiritual realities. Whenever we think about how serious our service to God is, think of the million animals whose blood was poured out on the ground. So it would flow down the streets in Jerusalem is what they say during Passover. Think about the 20,000 bulls. I forget what the number was, but I calculated the number, the amount of blood that would be poured out because of 20,000 bulls that, that Solomon sacrificed in, a, in, in consecrating the temple. All those things are pictures so that we can understand the seriousness of our service. That's what God appointed. All those animals to die so that we could understand the seriousness of our service to him. <coughs> But all those sacrifices are offered which cannot make him holy. It cannot cleanse you from sin. They would do all these things. They would make these burnt offerings. They would make these peace offerings. They would make these sin offerings. And none of them would fix their problem. Because their problem wasn't physical. Their problem was spiritual. They would make all those sacrifices, but as the writer has already spent much time on, there's no work, nothing that you can do that will make you right with God. You have to rest on the finished work of God. He must do the work. He must convert us. He must make the sacrifice. He must make the way. He must reveal the truth. He must give us life. So all those sacrifices that they made by their work, by raising the animals, by bringing them to Jerusalem, by having them slain, None of that could solve their problem. It was all just a picture so that we could understand spiritual realities. <coughs> so that it cannot make him who performed the services. They were obeying the law. They were doing what God said. But if you break one part of the law, you tell one little lie, you're condemned to hell because he who breaks the least of the commandments of God is guilty of the whole law. So them making the sacrifices, that didn't erase any of their guilt. Their guilt was still there. They were still guilty of the whole law. So none of the sacrifices that they did, none of it, the ones that performed the services, the priests, the priests weren't cleansed by performing the services. They took the blood, 
They, they sprinkled it on the altar, a burnt offering. They took the blood. They took it into the Holy of Holies. But none of it did anything to cleanse their own conscience. It did not make them perfect in regard to the conscience. None of the sacrifices would make one right with God. It wouldn't cleanse the conscience. They would make all those sacrifices, and in the end, they would still recognize their guilt before God. You see that with the high priest, where the high priest was afraid to go into the Holy of Holies, even after he made the sacrifice of the bull, and even after he made the sacrifice of the, the, the goat. He still goes into the Holy of Holies, and he's still terrified. He still has to make sure that there's enough smoke in there so he can't actually see the glory of God. Because he recognizes guilt. None of these things, none of these sacrifices help the conscience at all. The sacrificial system was not about cleansing the conscience. And that word translated conscience means to see completely. They saw enough of God to feel guilt even after they made the sacrifices. But in Christ, we can see ourselves. We can, and we have the promise in 1 Corinthians 13 that we will see ourselves as we are now seen. This is what God did. This is what the sacrifice of Christ does. But even now, we can actually see ourselves. No longer when we're saved are we, are we, are we ignorant. God gives us knowledge. He gives us understanding so that we can see our sin, so we can turn from our sin. And so all those sacrifices that the high priest made, that the other priest made, none of them cleansed the conscience. But when we do them in a spiritual sense, they do. When you trim the light, the light of the lampstand, so you see in God's word who you are and where your sin is, then you can turn from your sin. You can, you can repent. These are things that the spiritual realities do that the physical realities never did because they were just parables. You have to put the parable into practice for it to be meaningful. So they were never able to see the complete truth about how these things still left them separated from God. The sacrifices with all the associated law would not make them see nearly as much as Job saw hundreds of years before. Job 19, 25, and 27. For I know that my Redeemer lives and he shall stand at last on the earth. And after my skin is destroyed, this I know, that in my flesh I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall behold, and not another, how my heart yearns within me. Job had a better understanding than all the high priests. He had a better understanding than all the Levitical priesthood. Because that wasn't the point of all the, what the Levitical priesthood was doing. All the things that the Levitical priesthood were doing was about telling us what we're supposed to be doing. And it says concerning only, they, they only saw the physical parable. They did not see through the parable to see what it was pointing to. It's like Christ telling the parable of the sower where, where even his apostles go, okay, yeah, I get it. You take grain and you throw it out on the ground. If the earth is shallow, that when, it, when the sun burns hot, the plant will wither up. But what does that have to do with anything? And Christ goes, don't you understand? That's about persecution. When it goes among the weeds and it, the weeds choke it out, sure, we all know that when we plant stuff, but what does that have to do with anything? Well, that's what it looks like when somebody professes faith and then the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke them out. That's the kind of thing is that we can look at these things and we can understand the sacrifices, but do you understand the spiritual realities that they're pointing to? 
is that's what Christ came to do is so that we could see the spiritual realities that these things that are, that are pointing to. They saw the morning and evening sacrifices and thought that the animals appeased an angry God. They thought that those, that those sacrifices, that you do that burnt offering, that you, you do the, the grain offering, you do the wine offering, all these things that you do morning and evening, and that will make everything fine. And they didn't see that, no, that was, that was just something that people saw. You need to understand the spiritual aspect of it. So it was just concerning the physical is all they saw. They just saw that, yeah, you trim the lamp because you want there to be light in the tabernacle. Rather than you trim the lamp as a picture of having the light shine brightly and having it shine and point to the right things and see the right things. And so they just saw the physical parable and they thought it ended there. Whether it was food and drinks, all the food laws, they're all physical parables of spiritual realities. The various washings, we talked about this when I was preaching on chapter 6, verse 2, about all the washings that... The washings related to the priest being consecrated. The washing about the priest, the high priest, when he goes into the Holy of Holies, he has to, it's the picture of the second resurrection. The first resurrection is when you become a priest. The second resurrection, the second washing is when you go into the Holy of Holies. It's the picture of the two resurrections is right there in the washings. The washing of the hands and feet, the washing of the entrails, all these things are parables that we're supposed to understand the the spiritual realities that are pointed to by these physical parables that God gave to Israel for our purposes <coughs> and fleshly ordinances, all the other, other aspects of the law that are related to worship, those things that are related to the service in the tabernacle, all those things that were specific in the law, they were all about, <coughs> about worshiping God spiritually, not physically the things that they were doing. It was spiritually what they're supposed to point to. Those are the things that we're supposed to understand. All the laws about the tabernacle, about the temple, about the services in each of them, the calendar, the feasts, all those fleshly ordinances, they weren't about the soul. They were about physical things that God was constraining, that God was directing, so that we could understand the spiritual aspect of the physical things that God was appointing. All these parables were imposed. They were, you know, when, <coughs> when Paul writes and says that, that they're trying to reimpose a burden on them that they weren't able to bear. This is that, that picture there that, that God put all these things upon them. And it wasn't put upon them for their good because it didn't produce good in them. It was put upon them for our good. It was opposed, imposed upon them. They had this yoke that they couldn't bear. Because they were just given the physical things without understanding the spiritual reality. And so those physical things were a real burden to them because they didn't see the spiritual reality. Now we're supposed to understand the spiritual reality and see how they're a blessing and not a burden. And so they, they imposed it upon them until the time of Reformation, until when those ordinances were to be changed. That word for Reformation is diophoth. Diophthosis. Let me get it out there. If I try enough times, I'll get some word out there at least. But orthos means right, right? So this is 
and dia means through. So it's about making something thoroughly right. That's what Reformation is about. That's what the term translated. That's why one of the slogans of the, of the Reformation was Semper Reformanda, always reforming, because we're always supposed to be taking those things that, that were correct, they were true, those, those physical parables, they were things that God commanded, but we were supposed to, but in the New Covenant, we are supposed to take those things that are true and t- change them so that they're righteous and not just true. We're supposed to reform them. We're supposed to take them and make them so that they were obviously accurate before. It's the, the law that God gave, but now we're supposed to make them point to the realities that God gave them for and not just to the physical things. It's again, it's like, do not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain. If all you're concerned about is ox, then you haven't reformed it. It's also about, you pay a pastor, right? That's what Paul says. And so this is the picture, is that you take those things that God gave as parables and say, okay, so how do I apply this parable? That's what the Reformation is. That's what... That's what it's talking about here and says until the time of Reformation is those physical parables that God gave us. We're supposed to now make them spiritual realities. That's what Christ did. He came not because the parables weren't right. It's true. If you throw seed on, a, on shallow soil and the sun comes up, the, seed, the plants will die. That's true. But we're supposed to understand what that's pointing to, just like with all these parables since Christ, we're now supposed to understand what all these things are pointed to. So we're supposed to see the substance and not just the shadow. So let me give you some applications. <coughs> Remember the various offerings that we've been considering the last four months or so. Remember that they're just parables. Remember that they're just symbolizing things that that now have clearly been made manifest. That's the term that's used. That while they were hidden, now they've been made clear. They've been published abroad. Everybody's supposed to be able to understand these things that's in Christ. They were established for our sake so that we could understand them, so that we could do them. Do the spiritual realities that the physical parable was pointing to. So remember the work of the priest. Remember all those things that we talked about going through chapters 1 through 7 of Leviticus, and those things that we will talk about as we go back to Leviticus 8 in a few weeks. All those things, this is how we're supposed to interpret them. Every work of the priest is work that we're supposed to do in a spiritual sense. They did it in a physical sense so we could understand the spiritual realities of what we have an obligation to do. So as a Christian, are you doing the spiritual equivalent of the work in the tabernacle? Are you making the sacrifices? Are you trimming the lamp? Are you making sure that the light of Christ shines forth? When Christ says, you are the light of the world, this is the picture. That's the spiritual application of the physical application, the priest going in and trimming the, the wicks on the light. Is it we're the light of the world? Making the showbread so that it can be seen, placing it there. And then consuming it ourselves. This is a, these are spiritual realities about what, how we're supposed to deal with the word of God. Offering up prayers to the creator of all. These are the things that they were supposed to do every morning, every evening. Are you doing the, per, the priestly service? Not as a high priest. Christ is the high priest. 
But the priests had a lot of work to do that was not the work of the high priest. It was work for the high priest, so the high priest would appoint them to do the work. The high priest, though, didn't do all the sacrifices, didn't do all the cleansing of the entrails, didn't do all these things, because that's for the priest to do, just like it's for the priest to do now. Are you doing the priestly service? There was much work for the priest to do then, and there's much work, even much more work for us to do now. And just like the Levitical priests, they were supposed to do the work on the daily basis. We're supposed to be doing the work on the daily basis. The Levites didn't just do spiritual things on the Sabbath day. We're not supposed to just do spiritual things on the Sabbath day. Although there are special things that are to be done on the Sabbath day. That's very clear in the Old, in the Old Testament. The physical pictures, the parables, that it, the Sabbath day is to be different. But understand, they were supposed to be making the sacrifices every day. They were supposed to be dealing with the showbread every day. They were supposed to be shining the light on the word of God every day. Are you acting like a priest on the order of Melchizedek? The role of a priest was declared in the New Covenant, in the First Covenant, as it talks about in this passage. In the First Covenant, God declared the work of the priest in physical terms that we're supposed to understand spiritually what it looks like. Another application. Do you think you're an unused tabernacle? There's so many people who call themselves Christians today that they say, oh, I'm the tabernacle of God. The Holy Spirit is within me. But there's no service in that tabernacle. Let me tell you, God never set up the tabernacle for there to be no service. That's not what the tabernacle's for. The tabernacle is not for something to look at to go, oh, isn't this wonderful? The tabernacle is to serve. It's to serve God. You're not a tabernacle. God doesn't set up a tabernacle. He doesn't make you a tabernacle. He doesn't indwell you without service. Everyone who's saved serves. Faith without works is dead. The faith doesn't exist. God doesn't set up tabernacles without service for that tabernacle. We are new creatures in Christ Jesus, created for good works. There's no, there's no Christians that are a tabernacle of God that have the Holy Spirit in them that are not serving God. That doesn't happen. That's not what God does. That's not what Christ came to do any more than he did with the first physical tabernacle. It's a very dangerous view to think that you're the tabernacle of God, to think that it's not a place where you're supposed to do the work of God. That's what the Pharisees thought. That's what the Sadducees thought. And God condemned them for it. God sets up tabernacles to do work. God established Christians so that they could see our good works and glorify our Father in heaven. Are you a tabernacle where service is done? Another application, our ministering is still just in the holy place. Just like the Levitical priests, they would do their ministry in the holy place based on knowledge that they had of the holy of holies or the holiest of all, as it's called in this passage. But they weren't able to see it. And that's the same thing as the tabernacle of God with the Holy Spirit abiding in us. We still don't see the glory of the Holy Spirit, even as the Holy Spirit is in our midst, is in our presence. We only see faint traces of it. We don't see the full glory. But we understand the promises. We understand the things that are in the Holy of Holies. We understand what God has promised for those who will be faithful. The promise of eternal life. The promise of being in his presence forevermore. The promise of entering into the joy of our Lord. 
The promise that he is ruling this earth. The promise that he is the judge and he will judge the wicked. The promise that he's our provider and that he'll give us everything that, he, that we need for the work that he gives us to do. That this is who God promises that he is. And we, by faith, we're to see those promises. And even though we can't go into the Holy of Holies yet until we die, until we put off this tabernacle, until we put off this flesh, we can't go into the Holy of Holies. We still are supposed to look at those promises and live like we're serving, coming to those promises, just like they came into the holy place because the Holy of Holies was right next to it. That's how we're supposed to be thinking about this. We're supposed to recognize we don't see the fullness of God's glory, but because of the glory that God has, re- has revealed to us. That's why we serve him now. And our worship is still just a shadow of what it will be, but it's a shadow that has far more substance than anything that the Old Testament Levitical priesthood could lead to. Another application, we are to learn from the frequencies of the various offerings. God made a day of atonement, which was about the high priest entering in the holies of holies because it happens once a year. It happened once in history. The Passover happens once in history when Jesus Christ came so that our sins could be passed over. The Pentecost, it happened once in history where the Holy Spirit was poured out. And like the Feast of Ingathering, it happens once in history when Christ returns and gathers all his people to him. So all those things that happen once a year, that's really significant because it's pointing that these things, that these parables that God set in place are pointing to, to realities that only happen once. But recognize the things that happen weekly. The Sabbath celebration, right? Reminding ourselves the rest that God provided through Christ by putting aside our worldly cares. That's supposed to still happen. And they saw it as a physical rest from their labor, and we're supposed to see it as a physical or a spiritual rest from our spiritual labor about being right with God. That's what Hebrews 4 is about. It's saying it's not really about physical labor. Obviously, you don't do physical labor because it testifies that you don't have spiritual rest because spiritual is greater than physical. But But the whole point of the Sabbath is to testify that you have spiritual rest, not physical rest. It's not just about buying and selling. How about changing the showbread? This picture of focusing on the word of God and then on the Sabbath day you consume it. And the priests consume it in the holy day or in the holy place. Right? This is this is what the church service is supposed to be like. This is this is what we're supposed to do. This is why you know, it's so helpful to know what passage we're supposed to preach on on Sunday is because you're supposed to be considering it all week. You're supposed to be looking at the showbread all week, and then on the Sabbath we all gather together and we eat it, which is the sermon, right? This is the spiritual picture that God has put in place. And so recognize that God has these things, and he has them on a weekly basis because they're supposed to be done weekly now. And then the daily things. The burnt sacrifice, are you a living sacrifice on a daily basis? And not just daily. It's morning and evening they had to make burnt sacrifices. They had to make them during the middle of the day. They had to do them at all times. Trimming the lamps. The, there was a grain sacrifice that was, or a grain offering that was made with a, with a burnt offering, which is a picture of God's word, consuming God's word on a daily basis. Trimming the lamps, focusing on the word of God, making sure that we're walking in righteousness. Morning and evening, burning incense, 
praying with God, mourning, praying towards God, that picture, the physical picture of burning the incense, which we know is a picture of the prayers of the saints. And God's saying, look, morning and evening, they were commanded to do this. God didn't just choose these things arbitrarily. He chose these things to be instruction for the time of Reformation, for the time where these things are no longer physical pictures. They become spiritual realities. And so God set these old covenant frequencies so we can understand how they apply in the new covenant. Another application. Christ's sacrifice for those Christ's sacrifice was for those who sin in ignorance. It's really important for us to understand the level of blindness that sin causes. So people can't see things that are obvious sins, things that we look at and we go, obviously that's sin. You recognize it's sin. But they're still blind to the truth that there is a God, that there is a creator, that there is, there is one that they will answer to. Like the person who goes into the abortion clinic and goes, God's led me to kill my baby. And we shouldn't immediately go, they're not sincere, because a lot of times they are sincere. They're just completely ignorant of the reality of who God is because God hasn't opened their eyes to understand it. And Christ died for the ignorant. Right? The high priest, the picture of going into the the Holy of Holies, those sacrifices were for the ignorant. Christ died for the ignorant. Christ gives us knowledge through his sacrifice so that we can have faith in him. But he died while we were still sinners. He died while, while we did not understand our sin. Our responsibility is to shine forth the truth of the holiness of God, of the righteousness of God, that God is the judge of all the earth. We're supposed to dispel the darkness, but recognize as well that God blinds in a heart of stone, will not see spiritual things. They cannot be seen by God, is what the Bible teaches. So by faith, we preach the word of God. By faith, we preach the gospel to people, recognizing it's only God that can give them eyes to see. (coughs) Another application. God has made it publicly known how to enter into his presence. Even at the time of Christ, right, that publicly known is not just talking about Israel. Look at the centurions that come to him. Look at the <coughs> Cornelius. Look at, look at the woman that, that comes to him, the Syrian woman. It was known throughout the world at the time of Christ with the miracles that he did, with the healings. The Gentiles knew with what was happening in Israel, this was not just a man. The tearing of the veil in the temple, which showed that that's no longer where God's <coughs> presence was. God made it very clear what was happening. The destruction of the temple where there were armies, there were all these armies from the various nations of the earth that were all ruled by the Romans, that they had all these bands from different places, just like we read about the Italian band in in the New Testament. There were all these bands from all these nations. All the nations watched the temple be destroyed because of what they did to Jesus Christ. God made it really clear. He made it very clear. He published it broadly and publicly as he could. He made it known that there was a way to the Holy of Holies. It had nothing to do with the temple. It had to do with Jesus Christ entering through the veil. (coughs) And as his body, we still have the same responsibility to make sure 
that people understand there is no way to the Father except through the Son. (coughs) Another application. I only have three more. Two more after this. Are you giving the gifts that you should be giving? Are you dealing with issues that need to be dealt with? Are you hoping with, helping with those who are suffering? Or are you like the person who goes, yeah, I'll pray for you, and then walk away and do nothing? That's not what the gifts are about. The gifts are about physical things to point to spiritual realities, which doesn't mean that you can ignore the physical. I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was naked and you clothed me. But there has to be more than just physically doing it so that you get the applause of men. You have to do it out of service to God. But are you giving gifts? Are you helping with physical needs? Are you helping with spiritual needs? God has left his people on earth to confront sin, to call people to repentance, to rebuke the oppressor, to plead for the the widow, to defend the fatherless. Is that what we're doing? Are we doing the things, the gifts that we should be doing? These things that are pictured by the Old Covenant. (coughs) By all the gifts they gave. Are we fulfilling the the spiritual substance of of the physical parable of the gifts? Remember all the blood. All the blood that was shed, that was poured out on the ground. All the animals that died. All the animals that would have screamed as they had their throats cut and their blood drained out. God did all of that so that we could understand the seriousness with which we have a duty to care for other people. Are you giving the sacrifices that you should be giving? Are you putting to death sin? Are you suffering wrongfully for the name of Christ, right? That's the picture of the sacrifice. You have the gifts where you're giving things, and then you have the sacrifices. Are you fulfilling 1 Peter 2, 19 and 20? For this is commendable. If because of conscience towards God, one endures grief, suffering wrongfully, for what credit is it when you are beaten for your faults, you take it patiently. But when you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, this is commendable before God. God promises in in 2 Timothy 3, all those who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Every priest will make sacrifices. That's the promise. Every true priest of God will make sacrifices. And we should see the seriousness of that. If because of conscience towards God, one endures grief, this is commendable to God. These are the sacrifices that he wants. Are you making sacrifices? These are the spiritual fulfillment of all all that blood, all those burnt offerings that were made. This is the spiritual fulfillment of it. If conscience towards God, one endures grief, suffering wrongfully. That's commendable. Those are the sacrifices that he wants. A humble and contrite heart. When you think of all that blood that was shed, that was shed so that we could understand the significance of us living sacrificially in this world, not for ourselves, but to bring honor and glory to God. That's what our life is supposed to be about. And that's why God had those millions of animals all had their necks cut, had the blood poured out. Can you imagine what a mess it would be? All the smoke, all the 
all the stench. God did all that so we could understand the sacrifices we're supposed to be making. Then the last application. Do you understand the Old Testament parables? It takes real work. There's lots of them. There's lots of them. Are you thinking about them and saying, how do they apply now? They're just like the New Testament parables where where we're not supposed to just go and say, oh, yeah, God said this in the Old Testament. I'm just going to read it and skip over it. That's too, too complicated to understand the difference between a burnt offering and a sin offering and a peace offering or a grain offering and a drink offering. and a, you know, It's too complicated to understand, so I'm going to skim over it. Where do you go? Those who God has given his spirit, he gave it so that we can understand his parables, just like it says it in the New Testament. And we have a duty to do the work to understand what those parables meant. God had them do it for 1,400 years not because he thought the parables were insignificant. He caused all those animals to die, not because he thought the parables were insignificant. Are you figuring out what the parables mean? We should do the work that God's given us to do, which is to understand the spiritual realities that are pointed to by those physical parables. Let me close this in prayer. Oh, Lord God, we do thank you for this passage. We thank you for the things that you have to say to us. Let us hear. Let us, let us see the greatness of your plan. Let us see the greatness of what you have done for those who believe in you. The greatness of how you have revealed things to us, not just directly, but even indirectly through these Old Testament passages. That you do it all so that we can understand how we are to serve you. Let us be faithful servants that, that look to the hand of our master and understand what you're doing and are faithful to do the things that you should be doing, that we should be doing. We do this by understanding what you have revealed to us, not just the plain things, but the things that take wrestling with your word, take wrestling with you. Help us to do these things so that we can understand them and we can apply them and we can, we can put them forth in our life so that people can see your glory working in us and so that they bring you honor and glory for you are worthy of all honor and glory. May we be a people that are humble servants that fulfill your desire for us, that they see our good works and glorify our Father in heaven. Help us to do this, Lord. Amen.